HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is proudly brought to you by Whole Foods Market. Visit WholeFoodsMarket.com or download the Whole Foods Market app to learn more and find the store nearest to you. Hey, thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network. This is Katie, HRN Executive Director, and I'm so excited to share with you our coverage from the Charleston Wine and Food Festival. We are here live today at Charleston Wine and Food. Join us as we talk all things food. Come to Charleston, eat some seafood. Eat all of the seafood. Chicken fried chicken with chorizo steak and salsa verde mashed potatoes. So quintessentially like Southern fare at its finest. And have important conversations. We're also talking about professional women in restaurants and how underrepresented they are. People of color in restaurants and how they're not talked about. We get real with Food Network's Manit Chohan. Balance is BS. <laughs> uh, I, I, I was yeah. I was told that uh, I wasn't going to be bleeped out. And find out about raising sugarcane with Chef Sean Brock. It's like being Indiana Jones or something. You never know what you're going to find. You'll come away inspired by the power of food and the food scene in Charleston. Here's Dr. Jessica B. Harris. Food is constantly in flux. Food is always moving. Food is the only real lingua franca that we have that allows us to connect with other folks. So tune in to Heritage Radio Network on tour at heritageradionetwork.org or wherever you get your podcasts. You can't go wrong. Hey, and welcome to the food scene on heritageradionetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel. So I don't do this often, but it is episode 350, and uh, you know, it's almost eight years of radio every Tuesday at 3 p.m. So I just wanted to, first of all, thank all my past guests, everyone who's worked at Heritage, but I'd also love a, a little favor from you all listening right now. And you know, HeritageRadioNetwork.org is a 501c3 nonprofit, and it takes members like you to keep us on the air. So if you go to our website backslash donate. Uh, I'd so appreciate whatever you can do. Or, you know, just go to iTunes and rate and review us. Leave us a, a nice little note because we hope to bring 350 more episodes to you again every Tuesday at three. But on today's episode of The Food Scene, Margaret Palka was never supposed to be a baker. Everyone in her family thought she'd be an artist. But after an apprenticeship in French pastry, she had a course set for Paris and began her dream of opening up a bakery. 
Now, she's a Brooklyn mainstay, and for decades, Margaret Palka Bakes has been more than a bakery. It's a life story. Palka nourishes her customers, family, friends with her award-winning regula, and we're going to talk about that soon. But, you know, you'll go for cakes, cookies, muffins, and more, but really, you're going to come back for the memories. And this is also a special day because Margaret Palka Bakes' The Cookbook is out. Congratulations on that, Margaret. Thank you very much. And you brought the whole family here, your husband, uh, My Paul. posse. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't, you said posse. I didn't say okay. posse. Your <laughs> husband, Paul. <laughs> and your mother, Doris. And again, this is a family affair. And so has the story of Margaret Palka Bakes. So let's start at its beginnings in New York City and whom you learned to cook from. Let's talk about your grandma. Okay, let's talk about my grandma. Well, maybe my mother should talk about my grandma. It was her mother. Yeah. No, I think you should tell yeah. your, <laughs> okay. your version well, of Well, my grandma was a fantastic baker. She, um, she made the house smell so divine. Uh, I, and I think just standing there watching the KitchenAid blend the chocolate chip cookie dough and being able to lick the bowl was the best thing I could do any day of the week. I loved being at her house when she was baking. It was so much fun. So with those memories, why did you attempt to pursue a career in the arts? Was was baking something that didn't seem professional? Oh, um... I mean, I, I I think learning and education is critical to everybody's life. And art is so wonderful, too. I love art. My mother is very involved in the art world, too. And we had art all around the house. So we, um, art history seemed like a good avenue to pursue um, before I became a banker. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think a great place to kind of start that I was going to say divergence, but really it's an amalgamation, is Le Pavillon. And you could better explain it than I, but talk about hot French cuisine. Uh, well, I mean, when, this, when I went to Pavillon, um, it was the fanciest French restaurant in New York at the time. And they had a specific pastry chef who came from France to uh, make traditional French pastries every day. Um, he made um, sublime things, Grand Marnier Souffle, I'll never forget. Um, and But he let me just be in the kitchen with him, and it was fantastic. I spent the entire day separating eggs, and I was in heaven. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it didn't matter. He was he was doing all kinds of beautiful things next to me, and I just separated the eggs happily <laughs> all day long. I almost didn't, I don't have to ask the question, but... It sounds like you saw him as an artist more than a chef, or Absolutely. one in the same. He was. I mean, and it was. It was so. He must have been baking since he was like eleven, because he had. He wasn't that much older than I am, and he just did everything so with such ease. It was amazing. Now, now Doris, growing up in New York or living in New York when you had Margaret, did you see food and art as the same thing, or were they two separate disciplines? No. No, they were quite different, and I think that Margaret's left out that um, the Pavillon incident came about because she was a senior in high school, and um, all everybody had a work period, and Margaret said out of the clear blue, I'd like to work in a restaurant. We said, okay, <laughs> <laughs> and through some coincidence or some person in the building, she was recommended to the Le Pavillon, 
And she went there the first day at lunch, and I remember she came back and she said, the main chef was so busy, I couldn't possibly stay in that room. So I went to work with Willie, the pastry chef, (laughs) who took me under his wing. Well, it's not that pastry isn't busy. It just takes a different kind of meter, some patience, right. precision. Right, and the timetable is different. Yeah. You're not making something to order every five seconds. <laughs> but you're up with the sun. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> well, Before the sun. Before the sun. And, I mean, you know this as well. Paul, let's talk about that meeting between the two of you because Fraser Morris was such an important part of both your histories. So, did you remember the first time you set eyes on Margaret? <laughs> I'm not sure, quite, <laughs> quite honestly. We, we were a pretty busy food shop in those days. Um, and I think Margaret was introduced to me as just the new employee, uh, you know, and uh, it just it grew over time. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's talk about what fine foods you serve, too, because... They were gourmet baskets, unlike gourmet baskets we see today. Oh, it's nothing like you see today. We caviar, smoked salmon, imported cheeses, uh, you know, the freshest breads. We were flying in breads from, uh, do you remember the name? Poilen. Poilen um, at one point. Um, we were bringing in special truffles, um, which we got in trouble for because <laughs> they were Cartier truffles. Um, and Cartier was a truffle maker in Switzerland that had been there for like 200 years before Cartier even began in the United States. Um, so, I mean, that's what we were. We were, fun, we were gourmet food before people really knew what gourmet food was. Yeah, I mean, it's a luxury item, but did it feel like a stretch? Was it an expensive thing, or was it a celebratory thing? Oh, expensive. It, just, it was expensive. I mean, the clientele list was the who's who of New York. Um, it wasn't so expensive that if we wanted a little caviar, we couldn't afford it. Um, unlike today, but oh, uh, we couldn't afford it. <laughs> I mean, yeah. the caviar was fifteen hundred dollars for fifteen ounces when we were there, and that's more than forty years ago. I mean, yeah. almost forty years ago. I mean, now it. I mean, nobody paid fifteen hundred dollars for a little order. <laughs> it's hard once you get a taste of that. You yeah. always want that. So it, it makes me wonder how you started from, you know, this this restaurant, this megalith of Le Pavillon and, and fine foods, and then ended up opening up what I think is the most democratic bakery in New York. Oh, but I, that's, that's really my background. I, I went to a progressive high school, and I mean, I, I just, I, I, I mean, I'm not a business, I'm not a good business person. I'm just a generous soul. <laughs> hey, well, how many years have you been open? Business started in 85, 1985. That's a good business person. Yeah. That is, that's that's what, what I keep telling yeah, her. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> keep on and keep on telling her. Because, you know, to, to last that many decades in, in an industry that is so cutthroat, so competitive, you have to be a generous soul. You know, you have to give and you have to give your all. And you, you've done that for years. And it shows not only in your product, but the people that come in that bakery. And, you know, I, I was welcome in there as a photographer your cookbook but i have also long been a fan of your award ring winning regula um 
there's something different about going to a place that opens their arms and accepts you. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Is this something that you intentionally tried to cultivate? When you opened up this bakery, it was at your house. It was in the basement. I, I never, I didn't really think I was going to do retail. I didn't think we would open up a real retail space. I really wanted to just, I really wanted to be behind the scenes, mostly baking, just baking. When we bought our house in Brooklyn, we made the bakery on the ground level, and it had a big picture window. So I said, well, I guess we'll have to let people come in. <laughs> but you, you kind of went to Brooklyn in the blind, too. Yeah. It was, uh, it was such a happy coincidence. We, I got off the subway at Court Street, and I was like in heaven. I walked down Court Street, and I said, uh, am I in New York City still? It was so sweet. It was the nicest block. Little shops on either side, little f- food, uh, fruit stands where they put the apples into the paper bag for you. I mean, they, they chose you. It was just the... I loved, get, I loved that part of Brooklyn. It was just fantastic. I said to Paul, when I got home that day, this is where we're going to move to. This is the greatest neighborhood. I feel like you've carried over a lot of those tendencies, you know, of hospitality and service into what you do at Margaret Palco Bakes today. Right. But it was four years after you opened up that a man named Ed Levine came in and, you know, said, I discovered her. But, you know, you had discovered herself years before. But what did that bring to the business? Uh, How did it change the way you approach baking? Well, I mean, it, it, I guess it, it, it told me how great the Ruggler was and how, how much I could expose it to the world and be, you know, thoroughly pleased with the product. I mean, it was just such a nice recognition of the product. And it was great. It was just great. I mean, and, and it, it, it expanded. It, it made it a possibility to expand our, our repertoire to quite a lot. Um, and we could, uh, we could, you know, try all kinds of recipes because we had this fallback position. The Ruggle was always like the fallback, and it it sold so well that we could just try other things and keep selling Ruggle all the time. It was um, the Ruggle that built Margaret Palka Bakes. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, we're going to take a quick break, and we're going to be right back and talk more about this award winning Ruggala and the move to Columbia Street. You've been listening to The Food Scenes on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Today's program is brought to you by Whole Foods Market. From papayas and samosas to reishi mushrooms, if it's something that sounds delicious, chances are you'll find the freshest, best version of it at Whole Foods Market. They have more than 400 stores across the country, so if you consider pizza its own food group or just can't imagine when avocado toast wasn't a thing, Whole Foods Market has you covered. Visit WholeFoodsMarket.com to find a store near you. Whole Foods Market. Whatever makes you whole. Hey, and welcome back to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, here today with a whole bunch of Palkas, Margaret Palka Bakes, The Cookbook. 
Um, and Margaret, your mother just brought up a point that I think I'd like her to reiterate right now about how this path chosen. I mean, you realize that this was it. Oh, oh, it was sort of obvious that Margaret was going to come out of college and say to me one day, you won't be upset if I give up art history and become a baker. <laughs> and I said, no, it's your life. <laughs> and she said, that's, that's what I'm going to do. And we were all kind of stunned but pleased. And we put our shoulders to the wheel and helped which way we could. And you want to talk about Madeline's, the first product? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Because, of course, in your book, you mentioned Madeline's with the first thing that you really tried to commercially bake and make a viable product. But, of, you know, you also reference Marcel Proust. Of course. Yeah. Of course. So they go hand in hand. But what is a Madeline and why was it the first thing you were attracted to? Um well, it, I love the pan that the Madeleines are baked in. It's a beautiful little shell-shaped cake that's uh, made like a lemony sponge cake. And I'm, it was, it's such a beautiful little piece of pastry, and it's small. So I figured if the space I was baking in was small, it was a perfect product. It wasn't exactly a perfect <laughs> product, but it is... It is still a lovely pastry, and and it is it's difficult to master. Um, but once you do, you feel like whew, <laughs> it's a good it's a good it's a good product to uh, be able to make. They they're very sweet and they're, they're delicious too. And once you gain that courage, you dropped off some samples to Joel Dean, better known as Dean and Deluca. Absolutely, and they've almost ever since been a client of yours. Yep, they were for a really long time. Um, before they went corporate, they they were they had a, a lots of locations, coffee shops or espresso bars or whatever. What yeah, they, espresso bars. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. They uh, all carried my product for many, many years. Paul, do you want to list off all the places that have carried Margaret's products that she's too humble and bashful to tell other oh, people there are, about? There are places that don't well, may or may not exist, but um, Balducci's, uh, Citarella, um, Garden of Eden, Garden of Eden um, Manja, Grace's Marketplace, Manja, Manja Fairway, uh, Fairway for a while. I mean, as you see, it's, it's, it's uh, the list is it's, if it was. A pl the place to go, we were probably selling Jefferson to them. Market. Yeah, but was your name on the packaging? Some places. Yeah. And Ir irrelevant. Yeah, Dean yeah, and DeLuca, yeah. Irrelevant. Was. Yeah. But, I mean, that's the thing. Sometimes these these products exist in the world, and no one knows where they came from. And, you know, part of it's just like, that's great. It's always there for me. And then yeah. it's disheartening if that ever goes away. But to know that you were behind so many of these things, I think people figured out the association and started finding their way to Columbia Street in Brooklyn. I hope so. Yeah. And if not, I hope they do now. Well, and I hope this book drives We were lucky. Right. When we first we opened, we were the only place, the only cafe really on our side of the highway. You know, yeah. On the bad side of the highway. Mm -hmm. But you and, mustn't uh, forget to tell people that all the things that Margaret makes are now the recipes are available to everybody. Yeah. And the photography 
illustrating them is absolutely stunning. It certainly it's okay. is. <laughs> it's luscious fantastic. and yeah. mouthwatering. Yeah, but again, I I think that goes back to being democratic. That you're so open and willing to share these things. There are no trade secrets, but it, it's the warmness, and I don't mean temperature wise, of you know these baked goods that that make them so special and make the stories and make the memories. So again, you know, if you've never been to Margaret Palco Bakes, but you maybe had their bars or maybe you had their bars and didn't know, go to Margaret Palco Bakes on Columbia Street and see the whole story. But this Ruggala won WNYC's 1997 public radio contest and the rest is history. Talk to me about the hundreds of pounds of rolled Ruggala dough out in the basement and freezer fulls and your cash crop. Yeah. Oh, I, it's, uh, I mean, it, it, the fun, the fun part about it has been showing my young employees how to do it and then them surpassing me in speed, in beautiful ability. I, that's been very, very gratifying. I've had so many wonderful employees who've learned how to do it and show me how great they can do their, do the job for me. And that, um, but Ruggle is fantastic. Uh, we we started with a cream cheese dough recipe that was like p- cream cheese balls. <laughs> I found this recipe that said cream cheese sugar balls or something like that. And I said, hmm, this dough came out really nice, but I think it would be better if we roll it out. And we did. And we made, and we filled it with jam, and we rolled, and we had something sublime. We could not figure out why it got flaky. But it, it does, and and um, and we've been making that recipe ever since. We've made gigantic batches because I have a gigantic mixer now. Um, I hope that uh, everybody will try that recipe. It's a lot of work, but um, it's 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 such a gratifying recipe. They they're so delicious. They're also always flaky. It's uh, and chewy. Because my favorite thing about your regula, and, you know, sorry, my grandma, um, they are the best regula I've ever had because they have the flakiness on top. But they have that chewiness on the bottom because all those fillings, jam, that, the yeah. jam, the, the walnuts, sugar, currant, cinnamon, they all fall out and caramelize on the pan. And exactly. Paul's nodding that's, like, that's, that's your the thing. best part. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> is that the thing you always peel yeah. off? And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's shoved it in oh, my, my mouth. Oh, my father yes. loved it, too. Yeah. It's it's it is it, it's an yeah. amazing thing. Yeah, this is not a Puts traditional dish. However, yeah. <laughs> it's not a tradition in our family. Margaret made it up all by herself. Mm. Yeah, but retroactively, have you changed <laughs> your family history to include? Yeah. Uh, we had this recipe from when right. my parents came over, etc. Yeah, this wasn't it. <laughs> <laughs> so what was it? What were those family recipes that uh, translated to the bakery? Well, I'm my mother and I have been working on the on the Schnecken coffee cake recipe that's uh something that my grandmother made so well and it i mean what we do, what we think about when we think about her is the smell of the yeast dough baking and with the cinnamon there she had the cinnamon and the raisins and the walnuts and it was so delicious smell. and the, and the closest it ever came and she even admitted it was a ba- a bakery named greenberg which you may or may not remember. I, I know Greenberg. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Those... And he came close to Schnecken. Yeah. In her estimation, and that was pretty. That was pretty high, high praise. praise. Yeah. yeah. Are you a, 
I mean, do you like looking back to revive recipes and put your little tweak, or are there new recipes you're concepting out of the ether? Um, I'm, I'm doing both. I mean, I'm I'm going to embrace matcha just like everybody else, uh, and um, you know, uh, maybe the essence of of Earl Grey tea or something too. I'm 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 looking forward to I I I think that's part of you know how you evolve as a baker. Uh, back is nice. Um, I mean, pineapple upside down cake. We'll come back, and I'll be interested in trying another recipe of that, too, one day, I'm sure. Um, and Boston cream pie, things like that. It's nice to put a new take on those kind of old recipes, too. I like that idea. I mean, you've done that with Brooklyn Blackout Cake, the Ebinger's classic. Absolutely. So, And, and there are plenty of things here in Brooklyn alone, you know, babkas. Um, but you've also extended yourself to what I think of as... New England or Maine whoopie pies. Yeah, yeah. What, what was the intrigue there? Um, well, I think that was a that that was sort of a fad to another fad. I mean, and well, we had a uh, the Red Hook Lobster Pound is a friend of mine, and she said to me, you know, I think we need whoopie pies to go with our lobster rolls. Would you be interested? And I said, of course. So we're on our road to making whoopie pies um, for uh, the lobster pound. I know we're out of season by saying this, but one of my favorite things you make are your gingerbread houses. Thank you. Um, because of not only how intricate they are, how playful they are, but you can see how, I, I, I know it's overwhelming because of the amount you make and the time it takes, but how generally excited you are to make them. Because it, it really is a family affair. Yeah. Oh, that's, it's Paul and I, <laughs> it's our labor of love. We, uh, we we get a, such a kick out of making gingerbread houses. <laughs> you want to talk about the gingerbread houses, Paul? It's a lot of work. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it takes days to make them. But, it, yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. And, and that was one of those. We used to, when I we worked for Fraser Morris, we got them from a company called Elk. Um, and you can still see the video of them making them on YouTube. Um, and then Elk Candy, it's another company that we outlived. Um, went out of business, and I had um, a customer named Paige Black, um, who was a very famous commercial artist. Um, no, she was rock chock full of chock nuts. Chock full of nuts, oh, yeah? Yes. Yeah. And she used to buy 50, 60 of them by herself, and I said, I can't give her up. Yeah, and so we decided we were going to make gingerbread houses, and uh, ever since then, we've We've made them for a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, even the less intricate things at the bakery, like your sandwich rolls are homemade. And I, I think it shows the breadth of what you do there, that you, you take such care in really doing everything and having your hand be a part of, of that process. Um, and my favorite thing, you know, we are at Roberta, so we have to talk about pizza, is, is how wonderfully idiosyncratic pizzas are and how again playful and fun and just joyous it is to share a slice with you all thank you D tell me about what you bake your pizzas in oh well for some reason i had two 35 millimeter film cans sort of i guess my father was involved in the movie business many years and so i thought huh 
this is a nice, thin, very thin pan, I bet you. And it's just about the size of a pizza. So won't that be a perfect thing to try to bake the pizza in? And they work fantastically. They, um, they are the perfect amount of th- um, metal thickness, and we make great pizzas in those every, every Saturday. So I may be speaking out of turn, but uh, I'll say this. If anyone has any of those antique reel-to-reel pizza-sized you know, film canisters, you can stop by Margaret Palka Bakes on Columbia Street and what, you'll trade them like a lemon square oh, or something absolutely. like that? More any, than that, any even. cookie in the case. Uh, again, I'm preferential to the lemon squares, cream cheese brownies, raspberry brownies, s'more brownies, all the brownies, yeah. all the everything. And that award-winning regular. Uh, thanks. But that would be a great. That would be great. Margaret Palka Bakes, the cookbook, is out today. Go get that. Hear more about all the stories. But I think it's better to go in person and enjoy the baked goods while listening to Margaret, Paul, and Doris recant all these wonderful memories. Thank you all for being on. And Thank you. Thank you. I'll, I'll see you soon for regular at the shop. You've been listening to The Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel. Hoping to have you back here next Tuesday at 3. A big thank you to Whole Foods for sponsoring. Music by Cookies and David Tadashore Engineering. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.